0: please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for the hope you have placed in our hearts, Lord God. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that you would place your word upon our lips that we might faithfully proclaim it, Lord. And We pray that you would draw us close to your side. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. morning. It's so good to see you all this morning. Well, I have before me three cups. Right, and you might have seen these, these cups are all facing down. Uh, you might have seen this game played on a street corner or back alley or someplace like that, right? You know how it works, right? The cups start going around. There's usually an object in one cup, or there should be an object in one cup, right? And then what is the challenge for you to do? Pick one, right, to find the object. Anyone know what this game is called? What? Chance? What's well, a game of chance? It certainly is a game of chance. Shell game. There we go, the shell game. In Old English, they used to call it thimble rig, right? Because they played it with thimbles, and I think because it was rigged, right? A thimble rig, right? Because this really is not a proper game, is it? What is it actually? A con. That's right. It's a confidence game, right? Because uh, this person who is working the cups, you're supposed to have an object in one of the cups, right? But what do they often do as soon as they start spinning the cups around? Yeah, they palm that thing or they move that object into their hand or up their sleeve so that by the time you get to the point where you pick the cup, what's in the cups? Nothing's in the cup, right? So what are your odds of succeeding? (laughs) 33%, right? No, zero. The only way you can win is if you call their bluff and you say, instead I'll pick the two empty cups, right? Because then they're forced to either admit that they've been cheating you or... Or, they, or, yeah, or you win anyway, right? They give you your money. Um, the problem with calling their bluff is this is not a game they often play just by themselves, right? Usually they've stacked the crowd around you. And so they've got some muscles, they call them muscles, right? not named after the shellfish, but um, because they're there to rough you up if you cause problems, right? Or if you don't pay up, they'll make sure they get the money out of you. And then there's also some, I think they call them shills, is that right? Who are there to, um, to like heighten your excitement about the game. You know, they'll bet and they'll win, you know, or they'll lose very obviously where you're like, oh, I know I could win that. I see how they messed up, right? And so you kind of get baited into it or they'll tell you, oh, here's the secret. I figured it out, right? It's really, it's always in the third cup or something like that, right? It's not a game. They're trying to cheat you. They're switching it on you. They're changing the rules right before your eyes. And you're destined to lose. But this has been a game that's been popular for quite some time. Anyone know why? There's always a sucker out there, right? You're guaranteed to make money at some point. Somebody's going to think, oh, man, I can beat those odds. I got it. I can beat the house on this one anytime. Right? It is an old, old game. The Egyptians played it. Right? And apparently, it was also quite popular in the Middle East in the book of Genesis, too. Right, Because in our Old Testament passage, we see a high-stakes shell game going on. It's the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel, and it begins long before chapter 28, with the call of Abraham. God speaks to Abraham and calls him out of his land, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and tells him he will make a great nation from him. Abraham and Sarah, though they are old, they have a child, and they name that child Isaac. Isaac is the one whom the covenant will move through, and he takes as his wife, Rebekah, and they have twins, Jacob and Esau. Things are looking good, folks, right? Except the kids don't get along super well, right? Esau is older, but the Lord has spoken to Rebekah, saying that the older will serve the younger. Esau. He's a man's man, right? He is a hunter. He's probably got a big bass boat with like twin Evan on it, you know, Mercury outboards, right? He is, you know, he's covered in hair, right? He's kind of silver, half silverback gorilla looking, right? And he, uh, he, his dad loves him, right? Because his dad loves the meat that he brings home, right? He's very popular with dad. And uh, Jacob, though, is on the other side, right? He likes to hang out with mom. He likes the Food Network, Uh, He likes, you know, like he likes to spend time with her. You know, they've got crafts and stuff around the house they're working on together. They are very popular, right? Um, And so, dad's chosen one, mom's chosen one. Is this a recipe for success? No, this does not look good at all at this point, right? So, needless to say, the boys do not get along. One day. Esau comes in from hunting just beat. I mean, he has been out for days. He is starving to death. Jacob's been at home trying his new recipe you know, from, uh, that he saw on Rachel Ray or whatever. And he's got this incredible stew that he's cooked up. And Esau smells it. He's like, mm, "Stew, stew. Right? Give me that. And Jacob says, well, trade me your birthright for it. And he's like, well, what's a birthright to me if I starve on the floor right now? So sure, you can have it. right?" He despises his birthright, trades it for a bowl of stew. Now Esau has apparently forgotten this later on in life because um, their father is on his deathbed and he wants to give out his blessing to the one who will inherit this birthright, right? Which would be Esau, naturally, because he's the oldest. And so he says, before I give you my birth, the birth, your um, blessing, like, go out and get me something tasty to eat. And so while Esau is out there trying to find something tasty to eat, what happens? Jacob tricks him, right? Well, it's not just Jacob, is it? No, it's Jacob's mom, too, says, hey, hey, he's out right now. Let's make something tasty, and we'll trick your dad into giving you the birthright. Is this how families normally operate, or should operate? Yeah, mom tricking dad, deceiving him out of, like, your inheritance. I mean, this is not how it's supposed to work, but it does, Nonetheless, Jacob puts on like hairs, like furs on his arms. Like Esau must have been crazy hairy, right? Um, and tricks the dad into giving him the birthright, into the blessing. He gets it all, and Esau gets home and he is crestfallen because he has nothing now. And needless to say, you do not want to pick, or you do not want to pick a fight with your 350-pound brother, right? Who can like beat you to death with your own arms. You know, but that's what Jacob has done here at this point, right? He has fried Esau, and so Esau swears that he is going to kill his brother Jacob. And do you think he can? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would definitely be afraid if I was Jacob at this point. So in light of his impending death, Jacob's mom, Rebekah, then decides that this is a great time to send Jacob away to go find a wife with her family uh, out in Haran. And so she sends him off. And that is where we find ourselves in our text from Genesis 29 today. Jacob packs up and he moves out to be with Laban and his family in the land of Haran. There he meets Rachel, and he meets Laban, and he meets the other sister, Leah. He's smitten with Rachel for what reason? She's beautiful, right? It's very deep. Very, very deep, Right. (laughs) They did compatibility charts and studied, you know, it's a very rich courting process. No, he's like, he's just smitten with her because she's good looking. Now, the problem is, uh, in our story, the translation, they don't really know what the word is where they say Leah's eyes were beautiful, are lovely in our translation. And many other translations render her eyes as dull or um, weak. Right, so we get kind of a favorable translation here, which makes it seem like there's a horse race between the two, and he's not sure which he's going to pick. But most other translations, they don't render it that way. What's that? Yeah, that's how they do render it. Right, it is. Um, it's definitely Jacob is definitely thinking um, with his eyes in terms of who he's picking for his wife. Okay. And so Jacob agrees to a deal, right? He says he's willing to work for Laban for seven years to have Rachel as a bride because she's just so good looking, right? And they agree to it, right? They shake on it. So what is the deal? Let's go over the terms of the deal one more time so we're all clear on what's been agreed to, right? So Jacob makes a deal with who? Laban. Laban. To work for how long? Seven years. Seven years. Seven years. For who? Rachel. Rachel. Okay, you sure about that? All right. As long as we're all set there. So Jacob does his seven years, and they seem as a day because he's so in love, right? And at the end, he calls, uh, they have a wedding, they have this enormous, wonderful party, this feast. I imagine the wine flowed like water, right? Because Jacob wakes up the next morning next to his beautiful bride. He turns over to give her a morning smooch, and what does he see? Leah, right? He sees his sister-in-law in bed with him. Or, she's not his sister-in-law anymore, is she? Who is she? His wife. his wife, right? This has got to be quite a frightening experience for poor Jacob. Right? He's like, ah! <laughs> what goes around comes around, is right. So now his uncle, his new father-in-law, had switched brides with him at the wedding. That's got you know, to be like a rock in your stomach, right? Realizing that you've been swindled by your, your father-in-law. Now, in most families, this would have been unheard of, or at least um, frowned upon, right? But for Jacob, this is kind of par for the course, isn't it? I mean, remember his mom, she had cheated her elder son out of his birthright. And at his birth, she had given Jacob the name Jacob, which means he who grasps the heel, which is interpreted as he who deceives. Now, if you're naming your child he who deceives... Right, what kind of model is there in your family? (laughs) Deceivers. Deceivers, man, that's a tricky group of people right there. You want to watch out for them. They seem to always be cheating each other out of something in this family. But Jacob, because of the depth of his love for Rachel, is willing to work another seven years in exchange for her hand in marriage. Now this is all well and good for Rachel, I mean, she knows that Jacob is willing to work 14 years for this scoundrel for her, right? She has got to be stoked about that, right? That is commitment. (laughs) But how do you think Leah felt in all this? I mean, no one wanted Leah. Her father, Laban, was trying to marry her off, and he thought the only way he could make that happen would be to do a bait-and-switch. Betrayed by her father. Now married to a man who really is in love with her sister. What was life going to be like for her? Who in the world loved or cared for Leah? The answer is God alone. He was the only one who cared for her. He was with her. And he saw that she was not loved by her husband, and so he blessed her with children. And in particular, he blessed her with a special child. This child would be the one who God would use to change the world. For from her came the child Judah, and from Judah came the line of King David, king of Israel. And later on, from that line came the true king, Jesus Christ, who would rule forever. You see, God is in the business of taking unwanted people and loving them and making them important. In our story, God took some lying, cheating people and an unwanted wife and used them to redeem the world. He uses us as well. This is a hopeful word for you and me because we may not be the best, the brightest, the most beautiful, but God can use people like us, broken, sinful people, to bring about his perfect plan. Today may we receive the grace of God knowing that we do not deserve it, but it has been freely given to us. It has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Because God is not playing a shell game with us. He does not pull the rug out from under our feet or deceive us in the end. Rather, what God does is He says, I want everything that you have done which is wrong. All the brokenness, all the sin, all the pain that you have caused, I want it all. And in exchange, I give you my perfection my love, my forgiveness, my mercy, my hope. God gives us the greatest gift in Jesus Christ. May we receive this gift today, not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it, but because it has been given out of his love for us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are not here to deceive us, Lord God, but that you give us more than we can ever ask or imagine. Lord, we do not deserve the grace you have extended to us, Lord, and yet we receive it joyously, freely. Thank you, Lord, for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord, when we were unredeemable. And thank you for offering us your hope while we were hopeless, Lord. Help us to live in this redeemed way. Help us to live in gratitude to you, giving thanks for the amazing gift you have given us. And may we share your words of hope in this world, that others might come to know you and to love you, and find that there is security and peace in you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.